seven things, seven aspects of Elijah's life, and the first two were he was a man of faith, and the the second one was he was separated from evil, Uh, so we looked at those things, uh, and we'll pick up uh, on the third one, that Elijah was a man of elevated spirit, and this is a very interesting topic here, and I'm just going to read you uh, half a paragraph here what Pink says Elijah was a man marked of marked elevation of spirit possibly that expression is a new one to some of our readers yet its meaning is more or less obvious that which we make reference to was symbolized by the fact that the prophet is seen again and again on the mount the first mention of him in 1 Kings 17 tells us that he was of the inhabitants of Gilead which was a hilly section of the country This memorable victory over the false prophets of Baal was upon Mount Carmel. After his slaughter of them at the brook of Kishon, his brief word to the king, we are told that Ahab went up up to eat and drink, whereas Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, which at once revealed their respective characters. So... uh, his elevated spirit is illustrated by his elevated location <laughs> as he's always going up on these mountains uh, with the implication to meet God. Uh, uh, and uh, he goes on in, uh, in this uh, chapter uh, or in this paragraph or passage, um, but it's very uh, like um, the contemplative life which we studied in the mystic uh, mystical uh, retreats uh, you know read a little bit more here um, hmm, I think I've marked the wrong thing but I'm going to read it anyway what the heck the same feature comes out prominently in the life of Christ he was preeminently the man of the mount his first sermon was delivered from one He spent whole nights there. He was transfigured upon the holy mount. He ascended from the mount of olives. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as with wings as eagles. 
from Isaiah 40, their bodies on earth, their hearts in heaven. And this is, uh, this is uh, one of the ways in which he, uh, he describes Elijah. So, any thoughts about that? It's neat how people, you know, look at those sort of physical characteristics and stuff, like mountains and valleys and rivers and all that, and that's a spiritual application. Yeah, and just, you know, over the course of a long passage of scripture, he, he marks that, or somebody, one of his commentators that he read, marks about all, remarks on all these mountains that we find Elijah on. It's just a nice way of tying together loose strings. Nice reminder that while we are spiritual, we are also obviously physical as well. These physical markers do matter, especially for those of us that are following Christ and spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, because I never get tired of pointing out, I mean, the body is important. I mean, <laughs> contrary to modern Gnosticism, I mean, the all right, the next one is he is a mighty inter- intercessor. And this, this is probably pretty obvious to everyone. Uh, he prayed that rain would be withheld. Uh, he prayed and acted toward the widow's son being raised. He prayed for fire to fall from heaven against Baal. And he prayed for the drought to end. So he's constantly interceding, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean he's trying to bless the people but he is acting between the people and God. And if they need a drought, then he'll pray for a drought. <laughs> yes. Um, now, one thing Pink uh, points out at this, uh, at this uh, point is that what Elijah did was not for his own benefit or to his own glory, um, but to God's glory. And uh, he... Uh, offers a specific um, example here back in 1 Kings 18 uh, and this is at the uh, trial of the prophets of Baal uh, verse 36 and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant that I have done all these things at your word. So he attributes everything to God and is hoping that it's going to be a witness of God. Also, interestingly enough, Jesus died at the time of the evening sacrifice. So, another, another Christological note. So, any, any thoughts about that? Is the sacrificial lamb given on the Tenth, or is that when it's chosen? It's chosen, and and then and then Passover's fifteenth day, I think. Fourteenth. Fourteenth. So yeah, it's five days before the, the the lamb is singled out. Okay, the next one he mentions is uh, a man of spiritual boldness or courage. So. Page 303, I've just got one sentence here. Christian courage is not a constitutional endowment, but a heavenly endowment. 
It is not a natural quality, but a supernatural thing. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, a guilty conscience filling them with terror. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's Proverbs 28. <laughs> he who truly fears God is fearless of man. So, um, and he notes uh, Elijah uh, consistently facing down Ahab and his prophets, uh, even though most of the time he stood alone. So, any thoughts? Well, these kings knew this guy. Like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's Elijah, or I do have found me, oh, my enemy, and all this. I mean, they had kind of a close personal relationship. <laughs> <laughs> he had a reputation <laughs> in the halls of power. Well, it's interesting to, as you said before, to remember the human side. I mean, I've always believed that courage is not the antithesis of fear, it's action in spite of fear. Mm. So, I mean, I'm sure that Elijah, you know, he knew he had this, was it Jezebel? Yeah. At his heels, and uh, the king was pretty impotent. I mean, what the yeah. one, what, what Jezebel would say would go. Yeah. So she she could just say, well, I want someone to go and kill him. I'm tired of him. He'd probably do it, so that's got to be terrifying. Sure. But the fact that he had the courage to act in spite of fear, I mean, right. that's, that's something you got to, you always got to look after your, the people in your life that are seem to be strong because you never know how much they have. You know, courage doesn't mean they're not afraid, basically. Right. Yeah. They're acting in spite of it. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, well, that's the sixth thing, or I'm sorry, the fifth thing. The sixth thing is he was a man who experienced a fall. And of course, uh, in this, he's talking about Elijah's crisis of faith. <clears throat> up in the mountain where he thinks he's alone uh, he flees Jezebel and, and into the mountain uh, so I've got this to read strikingly it was in his faith and courage he failed for he took his eye off the Lord for a brief season and then fled in terror from a woman what force does that give to the exhortation wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall from 1 Corinthians 10. We are just as dependent upon God for the maintenance of our spiritual graces as we are for the bestowment of them. So, and that's, and that's it for that one. Any, any, any thoughts about that one? Any insights? Failure should, um, you know, remind us that we are dependent on God. And failure should remind us that we are dependent on yes, God, and that's a good thing. Pain is pain is causes pain. Pain is a great teacher. Mm. And sometimes failure is God's will, so yeah. embrace it. All right, that's the sixth thing. The seventh thing is, he was a man who had a supernatural exit from this world. So that's what we're going to look at next. So, unless unless anyone's got some final thoughts about the uh, the fullness of Elijah's character, we'll we will proceed from there. Did the chariot really have fire for wheels? 
Well, we're going to find out. Okay. Second <laughs> uh, Kings 2. All right, so I will read it. 1 through 14. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at the distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. So, oh, and then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So, I'll stop there. Um, so, uh, after the face-off between these three companies of 50 men, captains and their men, in this meeting with Ahaziah, there were no more great works recorded for, for Elijah. He, he kind of disappeared over a period of time. Uh, and then comes back into the narrative right here at the end of his uh, walk on earth. But he, uh, it's fairly obvious he spent his time with Elisha, and apparently they spent their time in discipling all these guys who were called the sons of the prophets, and they're everywhere. Everywhere he goes, there are these sons of the prophets, so he's definitely not alone anymore. God is demonstrating to him how not alone he is, 
And uh, so he prepares himself for his exit by walking with God. And of course, there was one other guy who exited this way. And Genesis 5.24 describes him. And Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. So, apparently, uh, the, the way to be uh, translated into heaven alive is to walk with God. <laughs> so far, two people have, have accomplished this, besides the one who's, who was appointed to die. But uh, chair, chair, which is a good thing because it's it's very hot work. <laughs> so one was saying it could have been purpose. It has been said, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, that the two in Revelation are perhaps Elijah and Enoch. And that that's the purpose of the translation. Well, it's possible. Notwithstanding that they did walk very closely mm-hmm. with God, but no man is without sin. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I love the way that these uh, these junior prophets are coming up to Elijah and they say, hey, do you know that God's going to take Elijah away? And he says, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're discipling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Shut up. Well, it's interesting that Elijah, I guess, in a sense, by telling them not to come with him, it's a sort of using the Well, Pink has some thoughts on that, but we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, But it does seem, and even from the opening uh, verse, and it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah, it seems like everybody knew this was coming, and it and it was time for it. Um, So, but there's is not recorded anywhere, you know, when they learned this, you know, when. When Elijah uh, got this word about it, what was to happen, you know, it's interesting. The sons of the prophet, you know, in my mind, they're fairly young people. Yeah. And in a sense, their parents were beyond being able to reconcile by the miracles that Elijah saw. But the children see it and they go, "Whoa!" So, so they mm-hmm. I can see these last years where they commit themselves to him, hunt him out, say, "Man, we got to we want to learn from you. We want yeah. to be like." Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a valid way of looking at it. Um, there's also a Hebrew idiom that if you are the son of something, like Bartholomew, or um, not Bartholomew, uh, Barnabas means son of encouragement. So if, you, if you'd like epitomize a certain characteristic then that you are the son of that thing. So these may be the sons, you know, the very epitome of the, the prophets of God. And this is when God is turning things. I'll, I'll get mention this again later, but God is turning things so that prophets start to take the lead role in uh, the lives of his gathered people. Okay, so uh, Elijah's uh, trip starts at Gilgal. And this is what 
uh, Pink says about that. Gilgal marked the starting point of his final journey, and most suitably so, it had been the first stopping place of Israel after they crossed the Jordan and entered the land of Canaan. That there was, it was there the children of Israel pitched their camp and set up the tabernacle. It was there they had kept the Passover and did eat of the old corn of the land, these are in quotes, instead of the manna on which they had so long been miraculously fed, as Joshua 5. And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. Um, so, uh, Gilgal is uh, an important part uh, in, in Israel's history, uh, in the history of the land. Uh, but from there, um, Elijah wants to separate from Elisha and go to Bethel. Uh, so, paragraph 1C. Um, let's not pick up there. And Elisha said to him, As the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Then, first, when first called by Elijah, he had declared, I will follow you. Did he really mean it? Would he cleave to the prophet in, unto the end? Elijah tried his faith to determine whether his avowal was actuated by a fleeting impulse or if it were a steadfast resolution. Elisha had meant what he said and refused now to forsake his master when given the opportunity to do so. So Pink sees this, this game that they're playing as, uh, as Elijah testing uh, Elisha's uh, loyalty and faithfulness in following him. His ego too, you know, you think about it. I mean he's he's gonna be the thought predecessor of you know, I'll meet this old man or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, there at the end where he says, Father, Father, I know yeah. uh, what a what a I think it's Aramaic, but uh, something something like it. I could I could be wrong about that. Yeah, they're all related. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. so um, they set off from Gilgal, and from there they go to Bethel. And here's what Pink says about Bethel. So the, uh, so they went down to Bethel, which means the house of God. This was another place of hallowed memory, for it was the spot where Jehovah had first appeared unto Jacob and given him the vision of the mystic ladder. Here the sons of the prophet at the local school came and informed Elisha that the Lord would remove his master that very day. He told them that he knew already and bade them hold their peace. Um, So we we go from one important uh, place in the land in Israel's history to another place which not only has physical uh, importance in their history, but spiritual as well, uh, where, where God met Jacob, and, and Jacob's ladder appears. Uh, and from there, then, he wants to separate again and go to Jericho. Uh, and Elisha, uh, uh, again, does not want to let him go. Uh, does not want to separate from him 
and here Pink evokes the Emmaus disciples who, even though the roles that they're playing here are a little bit different, but still these were disciples who did not want their master, they didn't want to be separated from them, even though they didn't know who he was. <laughs> uh, so, um, he, uh, uh, Pink makes that uh, connection. So, are there, are, are there any thoughts about that? I have one question, you know, we on the maps that you have, but if you were, you know, here, here's the Jordan River, Israel's on this side, and Syria, whatever's on the other side. Where's the reference point of uh, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, back to the Jordan River? Uh, Gilgal is probably to the east of the Jordan River because that's how they approach the land. Oh, so they have to cross the river. Uh, and, and but Jericho is to the west of the river, I think. I could be I could be wrong about this. Gilgal could be the south. Actually, I could look at a map. Sorry, I'm thinking Bethany. Um, I'm not finding Bethel here very easily. Yeah, I don't see it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Map out that journey and walk. How long was it? How many miles did walk? Okay, well, then uh, they, they from Bethel. Uh, uh, Elijah is told to go to Jericho and again they go through the same Kabuki theater and uh, Elisha follows them and of course Jericho is the site of the miraculous beginning of Israel taking the land um, through a through a miracle of God uh, that is not to the point So anyway, uh, so we see them touching on another uh, uh, place in um, in the land and in his, Israel's history that has a lot of significance, uh, both uh, physically, you know, concerning the land and spiritually. Uh, and then, uh, um, oh, I see, I see now, I understand now. Uh, so this is this is what he says again about Elisha's uh, uh, connection with Elijah. The uh, knowest now not that thou uh, that the Lord will take away your master from your head today. And he answered, Yes, I know. I'd hold your peace. The force of this seems to be: What is the use of clinging so tenaciously to your master? He will be taken taken from you on the morrow. Why not stay here with us? But like the great apostle at a later date, Elisha conferred not with flesh and blood, but adhered to his resolution. Oh, that like grace may be granted both writer and reader when tempted to follow not the Lord fully. So, um, 
we could make a connection here uh, between Elisha's desire to cling to Elijah and uh, Mary Magdalene clinging to the feet of Christ. And he says, don't, don't cling to me now, uh, you know, until I've ascended to my father. I've got stuff to do. And, of course, Elijah was ascending to the father. Um, so uh, there's another um, little bit of Christology that we can bring into it. And from there, uh, Elijah is directed to go to the Jordan. And uh, 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 he uh, strikes the water with his mantle, and they are parted. Uh, and this is the same scene as when Israel entered the land. Uh, Joshua parted the waters of the, of the uh, river Jordan, and they crossed over. Uh, so I've got this to read. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters that they were divide, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they went over on dry land. This dividing of the Jordan was a fitting prelude to the prophet's rapture on high, as Matthew Henry pointed out. It was the preface to Elijah's translation into the heavenly Canaan, as it had been to the entrance of Israel into the earthly Canaan. Joshua three. Elijah and his companion might have crossed the river by ferry, as other passengers did, but the Lord had determined to magnify his servant in his exit from the land, as he had Joshua in his entrance thereto. And, of course, there was a, another event in the River Jordan that was of note later on. <laughs> Baptism of Christ. <laughs> so, so these are all from from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. These are all highly significant uh, points on the map and points in in uh, Israel's spiritual walk. And here's something else that Pink says. It is to be carefully noted that God did not send His chariot for Elijah while he was in Samaria which is where he did most of his work. No, the land of Israel was polluted and Ichabod was written over it. It was on the far side of the Jordan, in the place of separation, that this signal honor was conferred upon the prophet. So that's, that's uh, leading up to the event. So any, any thoughts or insights into what has happened so far? He would be on the east side, which wasn't really the promised land. That it was Israel because the two and a half tribes had remained over there. But it really wasn't the promised land. Yeah. To Greg's point about the prophets possibly returning. Um, there is this sort of insistence throughout like Jewish tradition and then even early Christianity that the, just the fact that they went out this way seems to indicate that they'll come back. Yeah. I mean, and, and the Passover was infused with this last cup of Elijah. You know, the yeah. were insistent that Elijah was coming back. And the empty chair. And the empty chair. You know, there is sort of this kind of feeling throughout history that this is happening. And then Enoch was the same way. I mean, this whole tradition got attached to Enoch right before Christ shows up 
where Enoch's life itself is sort of a sign of coming Messiah. You know, in the book of Enoch, there's sort of this like, insistence that Enoch's life itself is pointing to the arrival of the Messiah. So, um, so anyway. In the canon, does anybody else speak of Enoch other than Jude? Anybody know? Well, outside of Genesis. Yeah. Uh, so it's Jude and it's Genesis. I don't know. Well, there's no other mention of the book of Enoch, but Jude. Or, or uh, I guess he doesn't say book of Enoch, but uh, refers to it. Uh, there's something, and I don't know what to make of this, but Enoch's translation was before, you know, the major judgment on earth that we think of. Just so before the flood, uh, and then God promises never to destroy the earth again with water. But um, so so, what is the timing of Elijah's uh, translation? And I don't know. <laughs> I've never been able to put anything together on that. What captivity is going to happen? Um, the captivity is still about a hundred hundred years away. Uh, of course, Enoch Enoch left well before the flood. Uh, so I mean, it may be. I mean, it may be the captivity. I mean, that was the end of the the kingdom. Sure. So maybe maybe that's it. You know, but there might be something you know more significant than that too. I've just never been able to sort it out. Well, and then that tradition of you know ascension and descension is attached to Christ Himself. You know, the, the fact that Christ left the way He did is itself an indication of Him never returning. Mm-hmm. That that tradition kind of carries through yeah. even in the church. Jesus Jesus had kind of a self-translation. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying he was taken up somewhere in the east, not where he did his most of his work, right? Right, right. So I'm wondering if, you know, he moved on up from the east side to a new appointment I think that's exactly what happened. He got he got his own show spun off. The temple's front doors open to the east. Yeah. God's people were cast out into the I've often wondered if it's that way because the, the hope is that they will be coming back to come in front of the Yeah. Well, when Adam and Eve left left the garden, when they were thrown out of the garden, they went east. And, and there is a when they When they left the garden, they went east. And then when Lot separated from Abraham, he went east. So there's there's... There's no. <laughs> it, it could be a cosmological thing, like the sun rises in the east, a new beginning. Well, that's why the that's why the the door to the temple faced east. Uh, uh, but uh, there's there's a scriptural thing about evil lying to the east. So that could be. I don't know. I don't know what to make out of that. The Mount of Olives is east of the front door of the temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it did. For the most part. Okay, uh, so um, right before he is uh, translated, Elijah makes this offer to Elisha. You know, what would you have me do for you? And uh, Elisha makes this just crazy 
uh, outrageous request. Uh, so I got a little more to read here. Uh, page 310 to A. And Alicia said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Here was his noble answer to Elijah's, what shall I do for you? Rising above both the lusts and sentiments of the flesh, he asked not anything nature might have coveted, but that which was spiritual, seeking not his own aggrandizement, but the glory of God. You do not think he asked for something superior to what his master had enjoyed, but a portion double that which was communicated to the other prophets. Uh, he was to take Elijah's place in the state of public action. He was to be the leader of the sons of the prophets, and therefore he wished to be equipped for his mission. This is a different way of looking at it, that he, he wanted double what the other prophets would receive. But I think the record actually shows, if, if we were to go on, on and look at the life of Elisha, that he had a double portion of, of what Elijah was given. Uh, and just, you know, that uh, one miracle after another. Uh, and I'll, I'll come back to this again in a minute. Jesus even says that. He says you're going to do right your knees Yeah, we're we're. Yeah. Comes, yeah. yeah, you're 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 jumping ahead, <laughs> but you're exactly right. Uh, so Elijah's offer to Elisha here serves as proof to Pink that this whole the whole thing that they were going through everywhere they went was was testing his Padawan's uh, uh, faithfulness. And because he was faithful to him, now he gets to make this request of Elijah. But I still like the way he um, wants it confirmed because Elijah remembers all the stress and struggle and fear he went through with this whole thing with the king. So it's, it's like, I'm figuring that's why he says, you know, if you see me leave, you'll get confirmation from God. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he still is like, well, I was kind of stressed out. This kid who's younger than I am, you know, I want to make sure God's okay with this. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, and, and Pink points that out. Uh, Elijah doesn't say, okay, and he doesn't say, oh, yeah, that's crazy talk. He, he simply leaves it to God and, and offers Alicia a sign that, you know, if, if, you, see, if you see me go, then you've gotten your, your request. And he receives the promise and uh, his reaction is to take up Elijah's mantle. Now, I'm sure that's where this English phrase has come from. Uh, in fact, I don't know about Tyndale, about this uh, passage, but it might have been a phrase that Tyndale made up, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, to uh, translate something that was difficult to translate. I don't know. It might, it might be one of those examples. Um, and he uses the mantle exactly as Elijah did. He, he hits the water with it, and the water splits apart. And that's a pretty good sign that uh, that uh, you are uh, going to be following in his footsteps. So, and this does return me to uh, my opening premise in that when God is changing his approach to his people, he often uses two. And while the first one uh, 
has a higher position, seems to be a more important person. The second one often performs greater works. Uh, again, Moses, there was no prophet like Moses, but no one stopped the sun in the sky but Joshua. Uh, Elijah raised up the widow's child, the first resurrection recorded in scripture. Elisha was connected with two resurrections. Jesus and the church, David and Solomon, Jesus and, Jesus and the church and Jesus, as David's already said, uh, Jesus told his followers that they would do greater works than him. But he holds the higher office. It's, it's just an interesting, it's not, it's not an earthly way of approaching things. Because God working through you anyway, and so there's all, 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 of, the, all of the things that happen on God anyway. You know, so, so, um, yeah. If you don't acknowledge that, you're in trouble. Okay, so I will close out the book of Pink with this. In the translation of Elijah, we have clear testimony to the fact that there is a reward for the righteous. Often this appears to be flatly contradicted by the experiences of life. We behold the wicked flourishing like the green bay tree, while the child of God has a bare temporal subsistence. But it shall not always be thus. Elijah had peculiarly honored God in a day of almost universal apostasy, and now God was pleased highly to honor him. As he had taught men at the constant hazard of his life, the knowledge of the only true God, so that he would now teach them by his being taken alive into heaven that there is a future state, that there is a world beyond the skies into which the righteous are admitted, where they shall henceforth dwell with God in all the angelic hosts in glory everlasting. Future bliss shall infinitely compensate present sacrifices and sufferings. He that humbles himself shall be exalted. Elijah's supernatural exit from this world also demonstrated the fact that the human body is capable of immortality. It could not witness to the truth of resurrection, for he never died. But his corporeal removal to heaven furnished indubitable evidence that the body is capable of being immortalized and of living in celestial conditions. So, the body does mean something. Imagine that. The body matters. <laughs> the body does matter. So, any any other closing thoughts or questions or? Makes you wonder if Elijah did get a redeemed body when he went up to heaven, because he was still human, or if he, you know, even though he was risen without dying. Uh, what did you say? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, if you got a glorified yeah, body. Yeah, okay. Got well, that's a good question. Well, they come back. Yeah. In Revelation, they come back and they come again. I'm not sure he could survive without one. <laughs> I think so. I mean, how did he survive the the, the, the chariot of fire? You know. So I would, my my guess would be yes. <laughs> yes, he was purified on the way. The, there's Haggai two and nine about the. Uh, it says the glory of this latter house will be greater than the former. 
saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The new temple. Yeah, the latter generation shall be greater than the first well, generation. Well, there you go. And oh, and uh, Father, Father, I'm sorry. It was Ab, Ab. Okay. Ab, yeah. It's not Abba, yeah. which I think you said he thinks Aramaic England. But yeah, I mean, let's go ahead and, and, and face it. You know, the church is greater than the nation Israel because the Holy Spirit is within us. You know, God is within us. Well, you think about, you know, just think about the amount of Christian people on the earth that have the Holy Spirit within them and different things that we don't even really know about. We yeah. get down to it. We don't, we don't really know what's going on in Africa. We don't really know what's going on in China. We don't know what's going on in East Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> or West Jackson, for that matter. West Jackson Baptist. All right. Well, that, that does it for Arthur W. Pink. Thanks for surviving through all this.